Welcome to Modern Babylon and Cultural Contrarian. This is Ryan Miller. Um, just a little change. I want to invite people to explore some of the information which I put in the public domain. So I, I invite you to visit facebook.com backslash cultural contrarian. I have a public facing page where I have been sharing the progress relative to communication with school board officials that are recklessly denying any responsibility and honoring their oath in a reckless disregard for the law and our constitution. So you will see some communication that I put in the public domain and it, it's, it's well known and established that the school board and others are trolling that page because they're trying to create a narrative that is completely fabricated based upon no evidence to hide and shield themselves from their actions and mask the truth. So I have that public facing on, on facebook.com slash contrarian. I also host a website at culturalcontrarian.org where I invite you to download a free ebook on there. It's the, the title of the ebook is Love Thy Neighbor. I promise I have no interest in spamming people. My message is really one that's private and I, I host a private membership association to help people learn and be equipped on knowing the Constitution and how to stand free in the face of those that represent authority and what our responsibilities are in knowing the law. Ignorance of the law is not a defense of the law in the court of law. And I try to provide people resources through ebooks, through other communications, through videos, through Zoom calls to help them at their own pace learn more information, more foundational information prior to attempting to be free. Being free is a very fearful endeavor because those in authority will call others in authority that come with guns and other equipment on their belts that will threaten, intimidate, coerce you, put you in duress, perpetrate violence against you, falsely imprison you, kidnap you, book you, that the Supreme Court's rulings in many cases give them a power that they overextend themselves and they violate our citizens' rights based upon our willingness to grant them authority which they don't lawfully have and we surrender, we submit, and we comply to these threats, intimidation, duress, coercion. We don't have to. And I am modeling what not having to looks like from a love thy neighbor perspective. I do it very respectfully and professionally. I do it assertively and I never use profanity. And I'm going to call out what the limits of authority are. And when it gets too dangerous for me, I make my own decision as to when I have to take the steps to exit away from the potential danger of that violence. I always have that right to be free. Now they can steal my freedom. They could kidnap my freedom. They can falsely imprison me. And I teach you that the debate is never successful on the sidewalk. Never, you will never win the debate. I shouldn't say never. That's an absolute statement. It is very difficult to win the discussion on the sidewalk. So the best thing is to stand on your Fifth Amendment right and be silent or gain the knowledge to know what to say, how to say it, and when to say it, or to totally disengage. 
law enforcement have the ability to detain you, which isn't which is an arrest. Your movement has been arrested. It has been stopped because if you leave, they will aggress against you. But they have a limited period of time which they can do that. And it's 25 minutes according to the Supreme Court. And it's up to you as to you your ability to remain silent for 25 minutes until they release you. Or you're going to know how to handle those 25 minutes to build your case for deprivation of rights under color of law under that false authority based upon threats, intimidation, duress, and coercion. I don't recommend anybody doing that until they understand, one, the risks, the consequences, the retaliation, and how to be safe in that encounter because it's not a safe thing to do until you get that base of base of knowledge and everybody learns at their own pace and I provide the education on what that looks like and how to be successful in heading into holding public officials accountable. We have a pattern in practice in our society that that we are directed on the path we're supposed to travel and that path is we're supposed to get legal representation to have our fight and argue through process and procedure through public officials who are protected through qualified immunity and Regardless of the crime perpetrated by someone who is protected by qualified immunity, it is rare that they are personally financially responsible for their actions. It's rare. The qualified immunity is the the financial backing of the state, the county, the government to fund the public servant's legal defense and any settlement that were to occur is going to come directly out of the coffers of the taxpayer. So we, the people or paying restitution for those people that are were conditioned to believe are to protect and serve us. And when they step out of lines, we the people are paying that fine. The people that perpetrate the crimes, the public servants that perpetrate crimes, the only way for them to feel the financial pain is to pierce that qualified immunity. And the Supreme Court has made that very, very difficult for us. The, the challenges in learning are huge. We've never been taught our rights inside of academia. Thank heavens for the people like TPUSA and uh, Patriot Academy for teaching people the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, and the formation and the power that we the people have. That's a blessing. That is truly a blessing. And I encourage everyone to go to Hillsdale College, go to Patriot Academy, go to TPUSA and TPUSA Faith and consume what they're teaching on the Constitution. But the piece that's missing so those guys are all geared towards empowering, educating, and equipping people to demonstrate the power of their vote, to get out and vote and be part of the, the political process at a local level and then branch it out to the county and then your state and then at, at the federal level. And the, the power of the vote is important. It is important. But what is really important is the character and the nature of the people that you're putting into place. What is their worldview? because we're taking people that may have a very solid, grounded, rooted, moral and ethical worldview and putting them into a system that is absolutely dysfunctional and it disadvantages us, we the people. And we wanna put people in that advocate for we the people, not get coerced and manipulated and leveraged inside the system. So I'm picking up the next piece is after the vote, I wanna teach people how to stand free and to how to hold our public officials accountable. Because we are the fourth branch of the government. 
And the only ability for us to hold them accountable is to learn what holding accountable looks like. And honestly, it looks strange. Being free looks strange because we've been so indoctrinated and conditioned to submit, surrender, and comply based upon words coming out of a public servant's mouth without regard to understanding the lawfulness of their statements. And we can do this in love and respect and in honor and appreciation. Any narrative that would attempt to frame my mission as being to defund the police is a lie. My evidence shows that I have a high regard for those in law enforcement and my friends can be a testimony to that. You can talk to my friend directly and ask him, is he against you or is he doing things to protect you? I want them to honor their oath and abide by the law. And I believe in the importance of having those in authority that have the power to protect us from the evildoers in the world. That was, that was the whole purpose of government from a Romans 13 biblical perspective is to empower those with the authority to protect the evildoers from perpetrating evil against others. But when the evildoers are part of that government and they are perpetrating the evil themselves, it's our power, the fourth branch of the government, to hold them accountable and correct them and remove them. Give them the ability to repent and restore. But if they don't repent and restore and honor their oath, now, I, this is a, a, an uncomfortable thing to say, but that oath is a pledge. It's an affirmation that was designed based upon a fear of being held accountable to God. The oath is a profession in fear and humility before the Creator. But if you have no fear of judgment from the Creator, that oath is meaningless. That pledge doesn't have any meaning because it is to the supreme creator that we are trembling and that we are know we are going to be held accountable. You know who knows this more, more abundantly than any are those in the pastoral community. Pastors know that they are held to such a high standard that to, to proclaim the truth because they are held to a higher standard before God. And I pray for those pastors that they, they fulfill their biblical duties in their role in caring and teaching for the flock. Our public servants, the majority of them, don't tremble in fear of their destiny and they make a proclamation which is invalid in most cases. But the purpose that I wanted to bring to this broadcast today is I, I wanted to share a document that is circulating through schools. And it's been circulating for some time, but it has not made the public it's not hit public visibility, very limited public visibility. There are people that are expressing concern and outrage. Some people have gone to the steps to see if the, any of this, these policies or procedures or guidelines are codified. Are they on the record? Has the public been able to see them? And has the public had the ability to weigh in on some of these things? Now, these policies that are being injected into public education are, are tied to financial contributions from the, the federal government, from state government, and from other entities. And that these are conditions that you adopt this will we'll release these, these funds. And this is the complex web of interconnect, 
and interconnectedness of influence inside of public education. And those that are sitting in school boards are not familiar with this interconnected mess and the unfunded liabilities of pensions and how pensions have to get money from outside sources so that they can continue to pay these retirements and pensions and medical benefits without raising taxpayers' levies to the point where the people will rebel. So they, it's, they're, they're uh, walking to the trough of the state to get these monies. And there's other influences and there's other codes and regulations and FERPA and COPA and the list is long and distinguished. And the Department of Education within the states provide these guidelines and financial strings. But there's this one policy that's getting a little bit of visibility and I'm just gonna brush through some a couple of the, the bullet points that I would encourage people that listen to this broadcast to go do a right to know law request to your school board and frame a question, something is like this. Um, I just want to clarify, does our school district have a policy or guidelines for supporting transgender and gender non-binary students? Do you have a policy or guideline specific to that? Is it currently in public view where we can see it online? Can you direct me to the link where this is publicly accessible? If it is not publicly accessible, can I see a copy of any anything related to policies or guidelines or practices regarding supporting of transgender and gender non-binary students? And if it has been presented to the board for incorporation into policies, can you inform me of the date in which that was presented to the board and put in the sunshine for the citizens to review? And put that in your own language and see if you can get a copy of this policy on the record and bring it to the attention of your local community. Now, what I'm going to share with you is I am representing the probability that this, this form is being broadcast through all school districts with minor modifications. It's kind of like a template, and you can modify the template as it may fit for your particular community. And the one I found was actually printed in January of 2020, has not been in public view, has not been presented nor discussed with the school board, and it hasn't been visible to the parents. And there's, there's a table of contents, and it's approximately 10 pages long. And I'm going to just read a couple of things out of here to just get you started. And I'm not going to name the school district that's involved because I think it's ubiquitous. Any school district can be named here. And just we'll just say XYZ school district. And then it continues in the purpose, and it states, strives to provide a safe and supportive environment that will help students succeed academically and socially. To that end, the district promotes respect for all people and will not tolerate bullying, harassment, or discrimination that affects a student experience ex at school. Uh, unfortunately, that statement is a, is a word, it's kind of like a Kamala Harris word salad of not nothingness, because we live in a society that is flooded with bullying bullying is part of our culture the degree of bullying may vary based upon where you are but bullying is everywhere you can't listen to a podcast that doesn't have some reference to bullying communication in it you can't visit a, a TikTok video or a, a tweet thread a facebook string a hollywood movie and a primetime talk show a late night talk show sports activities, bullying is part
part of our culture. Now, we as parents can help fortify our children by how we raise them on how to not respond to those words that they don't impact us. Words are just audible sound waves that hit a receptor in our head to hear them. It's up to us as to how we allow those words to affect us. But that's the, that's the verbal side of bullying or the text side of bullying, bullying instead of audible. It's just coming in through text or video. But the physical side of bullying definitely needs to have some accountability and equipping our children on how to de-escalate or to avoid being in that confrontation. Or if you're on the other side of the equation and that you, you teach your children how to define, the, to draw that line where you will no longer tolerate that bullying and when the physical aggression starts, you've trained them accordingly. Not to be the aggressor, but to be the conclusion. So they continue and say, bullying, harassment, and discrimination based on gender can affect all students, not only those who identify themselves as LGBTQ or have gender non-binary identities or expression. Creating a school environment that respects and affirms gender diversity empowers all students. The purpose of these guidelines is to foster an educational environment that is safe and free from discrimination for all students, regardless of sex, sex, sexual orientation, gender identity, or gender expression, and to facilitate compliance with local, state, and federal laws. Just insert Title IX and IDEA and FERPA-COPA and the alphabet just continues. There's some more information included in the purpose and the scope, but I wanted to jump down into the definitions. And this is one thing that is um, taken over critical thinking discernment is that words, the meaning of words have changed. Like we, there's this one word that is very prevalent in a, a certain side of the political spectrum, and that is to identify someone as a racist. And that word has been co-opted. And I, I reject the claim of anybody assigning me a racist. And I had two ways to rebuke the assertion of a racist. First of all, I clarify, well, honestly, there's only one race, and it's called the human race. Now, we maybe have separate distinctions or attributes to us based upon our socialization and our culture and our melanin or our ethnicity. But that's if you want to divide something, divide it based upon melanin content or divide, categorize it based upon my, my culture or my limited socialization. But it is not based upon my melanin content. We're united. We're all humans. And then I will continue and say, since you have categorized me falsely with this claim of being a racist, it would be appropriate for me to call you and insert your vitriolic invective descriptive here. And I may choose to use something that refers to where my body evacuates waste and say there's more evidence that you are this body part I can affirm that you have more evidence based upon how you're dealing with me that you're a butthole than you have of evidence of me being a racist. So I'm just going to continue to refer to you as a butthole because I have evidence that you're trying to change the meaning of words to support your ad hominem attack against me. Now, most people are not even going to understand what I just said, but that's a safe way for me to disengage from 
an unreasonable person because that that word has been redefined for them and they bought into that redefinition and they think that that is a very aggressive, divisive word, which it has become that. So in the definitions inside of this policy guidelines, the school district is telling you the meaning of these words. And they're using, I'm gonna just give you the title of the words that are in quotations in the definitions. They're trying to define the word gender, gender binary, gender expansive, gender expression, gender fluidity, gender identity, gender variant or non-binary gender, LGBTQ, sex, sexual orientation, transgender, transition or gender transition. These are all the definitions that they are establishing inside of their policy. And I just took issue, I, I take issue with all of these definitions, but one that just jumped out at me as I did this previously in reading through this was the one gender fluidity. And, and here's the definition they use for gender fluidity. Gender fluidity is when an individual's gender identity and or expression move on a continuum between the, gen, the traditional gender binary. So you gotta refer back into what the gender binary is. So the gender binary is a term for social construction or classification system with the recognition of only two genders, male and female. So gender fluidity means that you can cycle over time or on this continuum between these two pieces of male and female. But my question in that definition is, what is the interval or duration, which is an acceptable interval for that fluidity that someone might, must make accommodations based upon that fluidity that we're not going to be called out, ostracized, penalized, or removed because we weren't knowledgeable to know that fluidity change was happening. So what I mean is if I come into school on Monday and I, I identify as a gender male and I want male pronouns and I come in Wednesday and I'm dressed as a male, but I choose to identify as a female, is that reasonable? And how am I to know that your identity now is female and that you could not transition back on Friday to a male? And what is a reasonable understanding of the frequency in which someone is fluid that I have to be put into position that I need to be accommodating for this rapid change? Or do I have to totally abandon all language and come up with a whole new language set based upon everyone's fluidity? This is a mental, mental issue, folks. This is really a mental issue. And we're trying to, through all of these definitions and meanings of words and trying to be socially constructive and tolerant and accommodating for something that has happened in someone's psychology. I, I, I shared this in a previous conversation that if an individual had something that was fluid that they felt that they should be a quadriplegic or paraplegic, pardon me, a paraplegic, that they, they felt that their body was detached from their legs and that they needed to take the steps to remove their legs because their legs are foreign to them. Their legs are foreign. I don't know what it's like and I need to remove these because my body is not an able body. I need to be a paraplegic. And they, t they go to the steps and they put their, their legs in garbage cans filled with ice to make them completely numb and go dark to stop the blood flow so that an ambulance can come and they can have their legs amputated. 
But the hospital is going to say, no, 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 we don't want to amputate the legs. That's, that's not right. But the patient's saying, no, I'm a paraplegic. I need my, these gone that you need to take them off. And the hospital is going to be like, uh, no, we're not going to remove your legs. This is not a, a leg issue. This is a mental issue. We're going to deal with the mental issue as opposed to this leg issue. And if the doctor is going to support the removal of the legs, well, maybe that doctor needs to go up to the psych ward to be looked at because they're not addressing the core issue, which may be a mental one as opposed to someone removing their legs. But according to DSM-4 or DSM-5, that's an appropriate thing to do as somebody that believes their legs are foreign. But when they do something where their, their, their anatomy is foreign, that they feel that they're in the wrong body, we need to affirm that. So it's wrong to affirm that they should be removing their legs or they don't think they should have ears because they're a deaf person or they need to have their eyes removed because they're a blind person. Don't affirm that. And we need to have psycho psychological intervention, but we're going to do this with those that are going through this gender questioning identity confusion. Now, please don't misinterpret or don't apply apply false meaning to what I'm saying because those people that are suffering with these challenges, I want to be accommodating and tolerant for what they're going through. And if this is something that you, I, I will deal with you from a clinical standpoint. And I will not want to hurt your feelings if you're going through this. I'm not your therapist. But I will, if you need me to call you she, I'll call you she. It doesn't hurt me to call you she but it would be more loving for me to say something in addition to that. But if you're not willing to hear something more loving, I don't need to tell you something more loving. I'm going to pray for you and hope that you can get the peace and the resolution that best suits you and pray that the consequences based upon your decisions are insignificant. And I pray that if you do have consequences, that you find the right resources to help you manage and navigate that. I'm very libertarian in that view, that if you want to do something to your body, if you want to mutilate it with artwork from head to toe, and you want to black out your skin, if you want to do primal piercings or put a plate in your lip or put rings on your neck or whatever, it's your body. You can mutilate it any way you want. I don't agree with mutilating someone else's body I don't believe we should have dominion that I don't give you the authority to come and invade my body and do things to my body without my consent. So I, I want to say that this particular policy, outside of the public involvement and their, their scrutiny and their understanding that this is going, needs to be in the public light. And that... If you have a girl walking into a boy's room or a boy walking into a girl's room, absent of you seeing this and speaking into it and understanding that this is what's happening in your school, well, you don't have a voice. You can't really complain until you're involved in either accepting that you're putting your child in this environment or you're going to look on how you can change the environment for your child within the public education system or make the decision to homeschool or pull them out into an education system that aligns with your worldview. But if you don't, don't see it, you can't act on it. If you don't act on it, don't expect it to change. And this particular fight to speak to the school board is a very difficult one because it is so 
entangled in a web of financial influence, manipulation, and control that is happening behind closed doors in executive sessions that are not being recorded, that you, the people, don't have visibility into it. And you've only got three minutes, maybe two, depending upon where you are, to speak into these. Now, they have periods of time that you can get many people to speak for three minutes and take a half hour's worth of time. But if you had a group of people that were with a similar vision, that that 30 minutes of time, you all could say your three minutes and it's one continuous story if you could unite. But there's not much unity. People are playing whack-a-mole with their own concerns and, and issues and agenda and, and they want to be the spotlight. Nah, none of you need to be the spotlight. The issue is the spotlight. But anyway, I just wanted to, to get this on the record. I invite you, see what's happening at Culture Contrarian on Facebook. Visit culturecontrarian.org and download the free ebook of Love Thy Neighbor. And consider reading my private membership agreement. See what's happening inside the private domain, which is protected. It's private. It's secure. Because I want to keep people safe. This information, knowing how to be free, is things that those in authority don't want us to recognize we have this power. It, we've been totally conditioned out of knowing what we the people is all about. And I can be free for myself and I can teach my wife how to be free. I can teach my daughter how to be free, but I cannot claim freedom for them. I can just support, encourage, educate, equip, empower, give them the courage and the comfort on how to be free and that I will have their back. I'll, I'll exhaustively spend time to do that for my family. I have expended a tremendous amount of energy to help other people give that opportunity to learn at their own pace on how to be free. So thank you so much. This is Modern Babylon, Culture Contrarian, and as I always end, put this in your intellectual pipe and smoke it. Take care.